This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie's off tonight, and we'll get to those stories in just a moment. But first, breaking details of a gruesome grizzly bear attack in the Yukon. RCMP and the Yukon Coroner's Service are investigating the death of a mother and her 10-month-old daughter. It happened yesterday afternoon northeast of Mayo near the Northwest Territories border. The coroner says 37-year-old Valerie Thiore and her daughter Adele Rocheholt were found dead outside of their cabin by the child's father. He was out when the attack occurred but was reportedly charged by the bear when he returned and he shot it dead. Global News has learned Thiore was a grade 6 French immersion teacher at Whitehorse Elementary School. A release from the school states a counseling team will be on site for staff and students tomorrow. Now to a serious crash that injured members of a high school volleyball team. The team bus was carrying the girls volleyball team from College Heights Secondary in Prince George when it went off the road into a ditch north of Cache Creek. Highway 97 was closed for a time while emergency services attended the scene. Catherine Urquhart is live in our newsroom right now with some details. Catherine, bring us up to speed on the kids who were injured. Well, that's right, Chris. The team was heading to Powell River to compete in the BC High School Volleyball Championships. Ten girls and two adults were traveling in the van at the time. In total, eight patients were taken to hospital, two of them airlifted. For a time, Highway 97 was closed so that it could be used as a landing pad for the helicopter. We had uh, air ambulance transport uh, one serious patient with non-life-threatening injuries and a stable patient. And then we had three grounds crews transport six stable patients for a total of eight patients transported. We're relieved to know there are no fatalities. Um, it's always concerning and uh, really our concern is for the students and their families and friends in our College Heights school community at this point and we look forward to learning more information as it becomes available. No word yet on what caused the crash, that's still under investigation. But at the time, the highway certainly appeared to be in good winter driving condition. Chris, back to you. All right, thanks very much, Catherine. New details tonight about a daytime shooting that killed a 41-year-old Surrey man. The victim is Ranjeev Sangra, a well-known local Bangra promoter. Grace Key has more on what we're learning about Sangra and what police are saying about the suspects. Well, late this afternoon, police did finally clear the scene. For the past two days, this neighborhood has been behind yellow police tape as officers try to piece together exactly what unfolded. The Surrey man shot and killed on Monday has now been identified as 41-year-old Ranjeev Sangha, a well-known Bangra dance promoter. Tributes have been pouring in on social media, many describing his passion for encouraging young people to showcase their talent. One friend remembers how emotional Sangha got at the end of a competition. You know, I was at his uh, last competition 
2015, where at the end of the day, he was in tears. And, and, and the tears of joy, uh, saying that, you know, that I've had the opportunity to provide something small as this for these kids to really uh, flourish and do something good for themselves. The brazen daytime shooting happened on Monday at around 11.46 in the morning on the 5400 block of 146th Street in Surrey. Sangha died at the scene. One neighbor describes the shooting. Heard nine gunshots ring out, rapid succession. Uh, went to see if I could help the guy or render aid. Duck behind the car just in case, and that was it. Saw two cars take off. The shooters took off in this black four-door sedan captured on surveillance video. About an hour later, a black sedan was torched in Richmond on the 12,000 block of Canby Road on a pedestrian path. Police believe the killing was targeted, but Sangha was not known to them. What we've learned is that uh, he doesn't have any gang associations, and um, uh, we're trying to find out why exactly anyone would want to harm him. Friends say Sangha made sure no one ever felt left out, and he always tried to make people smile. Roger's that kind of guy. He actually likes to joke around and uh, li likes to basically have fun with everybody and make sure that he puts uh, smiles on everybody's faces. Well, police are asking people to come forward with dash cam video. Now, if you were between Surrey and Richmond on Highway 99 or Highway 91, this would have been yesterday between 11.46 a.m. and 12.49 p.m., you're asked to call IHIT. Chris? All right, thanks very much, Grace. An arrest has been made in connection with the murder of a Vancouver senior. The body of 87-year-old Elizabeth Poulin found in her apartment at Kingsway and Kerr over the weekend. A 23-year-old man was arrested yesterday. Court documents indicate that man is Nicholas Dwayne Wallace. He remains in custody. Police are renewing their appeal for information from anyone who may have seen anything suspicious in the area at the time. It's not believed the pair knew one another. And day two of a coroner's inquest into the suicide of a B.C. RCMP officer. Pierre Lemaitre was 55 years old when he took his own life in 2013. As Ted Chernecki reports, today's testimony focused on the issue of PTSD and how the RCMP dealt with it in Lemaitre's case. It was during the wildfires of 2003 in the interior when things really heated up on a personal level between Pierre Lemaitre and his immediate supervisor, Staff Sergeant Grant Learned. Both were media spokespersons. A reporter had complained to Lemaitre that she felt Learned was sexually harassing her. Lemaitre wrote a report, and the next day he was relocated to another detachment. I felt that uh, that transfer was, was inappropriate. It shouldn't have occurred the way it did. I offered an apology on behalf of the RCMP at the time, and I directed uh, our staffing officer, who was a superintendent at the time, to make things right with uh, Corporal Lemaitre. Psychiatrist Dr. Georgia Nemetz was counseling Lemaitre and his wife just before the suicide. Sheila Lemaitre testified that a sudden transfer in 2003 really bothered her husband. And Nemetz said Pierre was already diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, something RCMP to this day doesn't deal with adequately. In fact, when I joined, it was likely that case, uh, that you, you work hard and you play hard and, uh, you know, you don't cry. And I think, uh, I think that's changed dramatically uh, in the last 40 years and, and for the good. Four years later, Lemaitre was called to handle media in the Jakansky affair, where he was handed talking points that the next day he realized were inaccurate and insisted to his superiors that they be corrected. 
Testifying via Skype was Atoya Montague, who was the communications strategist during all of this. She testified he, Lemaitre, was ordered to not correct it. He was helpless, so distraught. She said crying, she recalled Lemaitre saying, you can't hang me out like this. And she said, they knowingly did. She described it as the biggest institutional betrayal in her 15 years. There's no doubt his suicide was because of this. Other witnesses have testified they also believe the Jakansky fiasco was in part what drove a fragile man to suicide. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Coquitlam's newest traffic enforcement officer has earned a contract extension. RCMP introduced Constable Scarecrow as a pilot project back in September. The life-sized metal cutout has been strategically placed on the side of roads in Coquitlam and Port Coquitlam for the last three months in an effort to deter drivers from speeding. RCMP say the number of drivers going more than 10 kilometers over the speed limit was cut in half compared to before Constable Scarecrow was installed. The project has now been extended for another year. A Victoria man who's been operating a designated driver service for more than a decade is raising concerns about the province's new ride-sharing legislation. Kylie Stanton explains why he feels it casts too wide a net and could put him and similar operations out of business. When a call comes in, he heads out. For nearly two decades, Dad's Dial a Driver has been operating in Greater Victoria, picking up passengers and getting them and their car home safely. There's times of the year that I could be running five and ten cars in a single night. But Scott Carey says its days could be numbered. Now that the province's new rules aimed at regulating ride hailing will come into effect in the new year. They're making it so hard that why would we even bother? We acted, Mr. Speaker. The B.C. government's ride-hailing legislation has passed into law, but the most controversial rules still have yet to be determined. Mainly, the Passenger Transportation Board will restrict the number of drivers in each region, setting payment rates as opposed to taking a free market approach. And participating drivers must obtain a Class 4 commercial license, the same as taxi drivers and operators of buses with up to 25 passengers. This is the app right here. Kerry says that will drive him out of business. It's basically going to take my drivers off the street because now you have to invest so much money into your own personal vehicle. It's not worth it for any of these drivers. But those that support the legislation don't see it that way. We're not anticipating that any service will be shut down. We think that this is opening the doors to services that people have long been asking for. It's giving people choice. I have the confidence that the Passenger Transportation Board and the Ministry will do everything they can to to minimize those unintended consequences. Anything to drink at all tonight? With the holidays quickly approaching, the demand is only expected to escalate. Heart still drive, Victoria, B.C. And Kerry plans to meet it. Away you go. At least for as long as he's able to. I highly suspect that I will end up, and most other companies will end up with a cease and desist until we meet their criteria. And that criteria is just not worth it. Ride hailing is not expected to come into effect until late 2019. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Commuters using the two oldest SkyTrain lines will notice some upgrades starting next year. TransLink is replacing the 1980s era information signs on the Expo and Millennium lines to bring them up to date with signs on the Evergreen and Canada lines. The signs will tell riders when the next three trains will arrive and will also provide information about service disruptions. Similar signs are going to be outside of the systems at the Expo and the Millennium line. If you want to grab that coffee, you now know you have an extra couple minutes to do that before you hop on the train. 
Another upgrade that will be welcome news to anyone who struggled to hear the announcements. They're also upgrading the old PA speakers. SkyTrain riders will start to see the new signs and new services in January of next year. The full rollout will take about 18 months. A happy ending now for a Syrian man who spent the last seven months stranded in a Malaysian airport. Hassan Al-Kantar was stuck in Kuala Lumpur, unable to go back home to Syria or anywhere else for that matter. But thanks to a lot of help from advocates in Canada, he landed in Vancouver late Monday night. Nadia Stewart has more on his incredible journey and what lies ahead. Hassan Alcantar's story begins and ends in an airport. You came to the most amazing place on the planet. And most amazing people. <laughs> no. But this time the faces are familiar, the welcome warm. Alcantar is grateful to finally be in Canada, his new home. In my darkest hours, there was a society and there was a government, Canadian people, who believed that in a humanitarian in general, and they helped me because I'm human and because I deserve to a better life. He is now in BC after spending the last several months stranded in an airport in Kuala Lumpur. Alcantar fled Syria after his refusal to join the army there made him a wanted man. This is only the area I have. He ended up in Malaysia, but without a valid passport, he couldn't leave the airport for seven months. Hello. So he took to social media, sharing his plight, getting the attention of advocates in Canada. Still, about two months ago, Malaysian authorities picked him up from the airport, bringing him to an immigration detention center. It's the most brutal and uh, it's extreme punishment to uh, just to take the freedom from someone. In B.C., the Canada Caring Society and B.C. Muslim Association were vocal supporters. They privately sponsored him. I never doubted for a moment that we would get him here. I didn't know how long it would take. <laughs> the plan now is for Alcantar to resettle in Whistler, where work and accommodations await, as well as his dreams for a new beginning. One day when I have children, I will uh, absolutely tell them that not to forget that the Canadian people helped me and changed my life and their as well. Adios to Global News. And more tonight on a Global News exclusive about fentanyl, gangs, and their influence on real estate in Metro Vancouver. Last night's news hour revealed new details of a police investigation following the dirty cash linked to Asian organized crime and some of the most sought-after neighborhoods in Metro Vancouver. Tonight, we reveal the suspected kingpins, the people making money off this deadly and lucrative trade. As Global's Sam Cooper reports, one group of suspects stands out in this province. Some of the alleged kingpins targeted by police in Canada's multi-billion dollar fentanyl trade are associated with an organized crime group called the Big Circle Boys, investigators say. Among them, Paul King Jin, who used to own a Richmond, B.C. massage parlor. But according to court records and confidential government documents, police suspect Jin and several associates of narcotics importation, operating illegal casinos, and money laundering. The RCMP investigations continue and Jin hasn't responded to the allegations. But an alleged illegal underground bank linked by police to Jin has been charged. This is Peter Lapsan Peng. According to a BC civil forfeiture claim, he is suspected of violent crime, money laundering and operating a Richmond, BC illegal casino. Wei Zhang. 
According to court records and immigration case findings, Zhang's long criminal record includes a weapons offense, assaults, entering casinos while banned, and also, according to a civil forfeiture claim, massive cash seizures related to a fentanyl drug trafficking investigation. According to civil court records, along with Paul Jin and a group of private lenders, Wei Zhang has lent many millions to VIP gamblers in Vancouver real estate loans. Then there's Douglas Pare, who experts claim is a super facilitator. According to allegations in a civil forfeiture claim, Pare was arrested for narcotics production and money laundering in Richmond, B.C., and linked to a major drug chemical seizure. According to sources with knowledge of RCMP probes, the seizure was tied to suspects involved in a Richmond casino money laundering investigation. Pare denies all allegations in the civil claim, and it's not known whether Pare has ever been charged. The Big Circle Boys originated in southern China with ties to military and police groups. They came to dominate the heroin trade in Canada and have now expanded into fentanyl, using Vancouver as their worldwide hub. Well, Sam Cooper joins us live with more on this global exclusive. Sam, it's been a fascinating series of reports. How did this information first come to light? Well, police have uh, suspected for many years that there was massive money laundering in Vancouver real estate. So more recently, they wanted to study the issue and confirm the scale of it. So this is what this study did. But there's an irony here. Uh, Now that they know exactly what they're dealing with, they also know that they don't have the resources to tackle money laundering for various reasons. And so there's, a, I would say, a level of frustration among officers. They would like uh, to have the tools and the freedom to attack money laundering that has really uh, caused such damage in British Columbia. And they've obviously made some headway here. Where are they in the investigation? So this is the the largest uh, investigation of its size ever in Canadian history related to casino money laundering. We know that the investigation is ongoing. There are other ongoing interrelated investigations in B.C. And we know that some significant charges have been announced. But at the same time, we don't know whether some of the primary targets of the investigations have been charged and the government isn't saying. We also don't know when this action will go to trial. So for the public, we're in a holding period right now. And, and so what happens next? What can the Canadian public and more specifically people here in the lower mainland uh, count on from investigators? Now that Global has uh, revealed a great deal about this problem, we can also see, I think, a growing sense of frustration in some B.C. citizens. Probably we need a public inquiry in B.C. to see, you know, how how did organized crime get such a grip and penetrate so deeply in B.C. real estate and other areas of uh, of uh, the society? There might be much more to uncover. Keep digging, Sam. Thanks very much for the work so far. Thanks, Chris. The fall sitting of the B.C. legislature wrapped up today, bringing to an end a week of unprecedented upheaval. With the suspension of the two top legislature officials still hanging over everything, the sitting ended in suitably dramatic fashion. Keith Baldry reports. The last day of a legislative session usually passes quickly and without much fanfare, as MLAs just want to get home. But today the session ended on a sour note as the fallout continues from the mysterious suspensions last week of the chief clerk and the sergeant-at-arms. Seek leave to move a motion that this House review its decision of November 20, 2018. The Liberals trying unsuccessfully to reverse last week's decision. I'm sorry, 
leave is not granted. And so began the last question period. Things got louder as it progressed as the Liberals pressed for a meeting to discuss the Speaker's role in the suspensions. These are extraordinary circumstances, and the answer we get is, let's wait a couple of weeks. That is outrageous, Mr. Speaker. But perhaps if some of their members actually showed up sometimes, instead of missing some of the meetings, this might, in fact, you know, they might take place. Much of question period consisted simply of Deputy Speaker Raj Shahan constantly pleading for order. Let's have order, please. In members, house, let's hear the answer, please. Uh, that question is out of order. Members will come to order. Let's have some order. The two main party leaders were disappointed things ended this way, with still very little known about what led to the suspensions that have transfixed the legislature for a week now. I think there's a great deal of uncertainty about where this investigation came from, whether it was conducted properly, and whether the motion that was brought to the House was properly put together. British Columbians have, should have confidence that despite the extraordinary uh, events of the past week, government has continued, opposition has continued, and partisan activity has continued. So that strikes me as a healthy, robust democracy. In all, 21 bills were passed into law. The House returns in early February, and it is by no means certain there will be answers to the mysterious suspensions at the legislature's top officers, even by then. Keith Baldry, Global News, Victoria. A NewsHour follow-up tonight about an Abbotsford couple's frustrating battle to bring home their adopted son from the African nation of Ghana. As Jamie Maraca reports, the stress of the never-ending delays and red tape has forced the mother to come home to B.C. to deal with a setback in her own health. Physically and emotionally exhausted, Kim Moran is happy to be home, but heartbroken to be two family members short. For me now to have to leave and to walk away. The Abbotsford resident has been living in Accra, Ghana since August, waiting for her two-year-old son Ao's Canadian immigration papers. I spent the last um, four months just trying to love this kid the best that I can. An international adoption process, normally six to eight months, has now taken almost three years. Last week, Kim, who suffers from multiple sclerosis, says the stress of the situation caught up to her. Now I'm like sitting in a wheelchair can't even grab my own bags off the conveyor belt. Like this has become our greatest nightmare. With news of his wife's condition, Clark Moran, who had returned to Canada for work, made an emergency flight back to Accra. And the only solution that our government could come up with is, well, why don't we just switch spots? It's been so disheartening. For months, Immigration Canada has told the Morans their adoption file was in queue. We've since learned there are 68 adoption files open at Accra's Canadian High Commission. We've done everything the way that it needs to be done. All we're asking for now is that our son just get issued a temporary visa on the grounds of compassion so that we can wait for his citizenship in Canada together as a family. Despite knowing about Kim's condition, it's a request the IRCC told Global News it cannot grant. Heartbreaking news to the couple stuck a world apart. I want to go home and put up our stockings and like get a Christmas tree. But I'm not going to celebrate Christmas here by myself. Running out of money, options, and hope. Jamie Marocker, Global News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
We'll let you know right away that no one was seriously hurt when this billboard in China toppled over onto four people. The billboard clearly wasn't anchored properly, but thankfully it also wasn't very heavy. One person is still in hospital, but not in serious condition. Canada Post workers are back on the job after Ottawa's back-to-work legislation kicked in this morning. But the post office is warning that a backlog is going to create major delays that could push deliveries into the new year. Canada Post says deliveries of Canadian parcels currently in the system could stretch into January of 2019. And if you're waiting for a parcel from overseas, you might not get it until March. Canada Post says in addition to the job action, the huge volume of deliveries generated by Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales are all contributing to the backlog. NASA scientists very excited by the latest delivery from the InSight Mars lander, a new picture of the red planet. InSight's camera sent this photo of its landing site, and in the coming days, InSight will deploy its robotic arm, and engineers will decide where to place its scientific instruments, the tools that will dig down to measure the planet's internal heat and listen for Mars quakes. In Health Matters tonight, another warning about laundry pods, this time from a Langley mother. She thought she'd taken all the precautions, but it only took a few seconds for her child to get into serious trouble. Sarah McDonald reports. What started as a typical household chore for this Langley couple Sunday quickly spiraled into a near-death experience for their toddler son. He managed to crawl over, open the door to the washing machine, crawl himself in there, and he grabbed the, the Tide Pod out of the, the, the washing machine. One-year-old Hunter ingesting a detergent pod before that laundry cycle was started, with his parents just steps away. I walked over, I checked on Hunter. I walked back long enough to turn the rice off on the stove and that's when I heard Hunter gurgling from around the corner. I could hear Hunter gargling and I uh, knew something was wrong right away. And Hunter might not have survived if not for the quick actions of first responders. The toddler discharged from hospital on Tuesday. Hunter is far from the only child in this province to be hospitalized for ingesting one of these. Behind 150 emergency room visits and more than 400 calls to poison control in a three-year time period. The vast majority of those patients, children under six years old. When a child bites into a laundry pod, the detergent actually can squirt to the back of their throat, which causes swelling in the back of their throat, which ultimately leads to difficulty in breathing. That's why this family, including Hunter's grandmother, are going public with their experience. When I got the call, it was like somebody just ripped my heart right out of my chest. Warning other parents of the dangers laundry detergent pods pose to children. You take your eyes off them for two seconds and it can just happen so quickly. Hunter is now on the mend and back home, though still under observation for respiratory issues. It was a rough few days, definitely, but I'm glad he's doing a lot better and he's back to his old self. His parents savoring this mundane family moment that almost wasn't. Sarah McDonald, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The Vancouver Canucks are back home tonight to take on the LA Kings, but no matter what happens on the ice, the real excitement might be on the scoreboard at the 10-minute mark of the third period. Aaron MacArthur is live at Rogers Arena. And Aaron, there's a lot of money up for grabs tonight in the 50-50. Oh, yeah, there's lots going on down here anyway, Chris. It's Hollywood night at Rogers Arena. Ten trips to the Staples Center to watch the Kings and Canucks play in February, but that's just the appetizer. 
the main course, the 50-50 draw, which will shatter records. It's as much a part of hockey as the Zamboni. At some point, in every small town rink across the country, volunteers have hawked 50-50 tickets. Get your 50-50! $25 Tuesday at Rogers Arena, the Canucks are taking this tradition to a whole new level. The jackpot's a million dollars. It's a huge number. We're really excited. This is actually the second time the NHL franchise has topped a million bucks in the 50-50. Last season, the last game of the year, someone in the crowd took home just more than 500 grand. It was the largest draw in NHL history. Tonight's might be bigger. Thanks to the incredible people at Ascend, is that they've guaranteed the prize and they've guaranteed the charity money. Um, so no matter what happens tonight, everybody's a winner. So you get 50 tickets for $50. Done. It's the best deal going. Chance to win a million bucks. The 50-50 jackpots have been larger this season because the draw is available to anyone in BC. Tickets can be purchased at Canucks.com. <laughs> Fans already spending their imagined winnings. Pay bills, uh, pay off the visa, uh, probably go on a nice family trip. That's a lot. It is a That's lot. a lot of money. First thing I'd do is I'd go buy my, uh, my car, my Lamborghini. Go on a trip. Take a trip. Go to the Philippines. Tonight's lucky 50-50 winner. By the middle of the third period, the winning number will be posted everywhere. Make sure you check your tickets. Now we have until the end of the second period to buy 50-50 tickets tonight, both in the rink and online. Remember, the jackpot starts at a million. That's guaranteed money. Who knows how big it'll get by the time the second period horn goes. Chris? And half the money goes to all those good causes. Aaron, pick me up 10 bucks. I'll hold you to it. Absolutely. All right, thanks, buddy. All right. Take a look at this photo. Yes, the top left says not attached. Not good when you're about to take off on a hang gliding flight. How that ended in just a moment, right after the forecast. Here's Christy now. You nailed it. The commute is Terrible as people try to head home tonight. Oh, I, I would not be, want to be out on the roads right now. Uh, yeah, the reports are terrible. Uh, so pounding rain, this uh, um, video from Ted Field in Langley, but we're seeing it right across the lower mainland. Uh, we've seen the traffic reports. Uh, the streets are just completely stalled. Pooling water on the roads and the rain is nonstop. We're seeing rainfall rates in 10 to 12 millimeters in an hour. Now, it was much heavier across the uh, Vancouver Vancouver Island region. That's spreading into the lower mainland right now. It has broken up a little bit, uh, but we expect it to be sort of on and off through the evening hours. Also, lightning strikes across Vancouver Island with a number of thunderstorms. But I've just recently had a tweet from someone show, um, saying that they heard uh, or heard some thunder in the Abbotsford area, and I wouldn't be surprised. There's a bit of a bullseye right in through that area. So a risk of thunderstorms still for the evening hours as well. Here's a look at what's going on. We had that massive atmospheric river. That pushed out quite quickly this morning and brought us some nice sunshine to start with. In behind it, though, a lot of instability moving our way. And what we're dealing with is just a, a brief little short wave over us. And that's what's bringing the heavy rain right now. In behind it, can you see these little pockets? Still instability in the forecast. And these are little pockets of rain and what we call showers. I would say it is about a 40% chance of showers, meaning you'll see lots of breaks of dry weather, maybe even some blue sky here. 
here and there, but certainly that chance of showers maintains. Uh, in behind that atmospheric river, record-breaking conditions today. Hotspot across Canada, Abbotsford at 16.6 degrees, and they broke a record from 2011. Vancouver Harbour, that's near Stanley Park, also broke a record at 15 degrees, and same for Pitt Meadows. Here's your forecast for tomorrow. So we'll see the wind and rain across the north coast regions. Inland regions, a nice little break. Snowfall, though, expected in through the BC Peace River area and for the south coast. As I mentioned, that 40% chance of showers tomorrow with mainly cloudy skies. And we'll continue to see that on and off for the next couple of days. Looks like the best chance to see some sunshine will be on Tuesday. And I'll leave you with a king tide shot from Crescent Beach. Rana Tepper sent us this. And... That is the um, pier that we jumped off of, Chris, with our families. And you can see it's not much of a jump now. No, the, there's not. It's like stepping off the curb. Right. But this summer, that was a 12-foot, 13-foot drop, maybe. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun there. Good memories from this summer, for sure. All right, a Florida man left his vacation in Switzerland with some unusual memories and a titanium plate and seven screws in his arm. But when you see the video of his hang gliding adventure... You'll understand why he's okay with that. Chris Gursky posted it on social media, noting that he was not attached to the glider. Seconds after they take off from that 1,200-meter-high ridge, the pilot realizes the mistake and helps Gursky hang on while struggling to control the glider. More than two terrifying minutes later, after flying over trees to find a field, they're barely low enough for Gursky to drop just as his hand starts to slip. Gursky broke his wrist and tore his bicep, but says he wants to do it again so he can actually enjoy the ride this time. The pilot's being investigated by Switzerland's Civil Aviation Authority. Unbelievable. I was going to say, does the pilot know what he's doing? Does he have any clue? It's That's one of those mistakes that you go... Yeah. But oh, you I can't if, believe I did that. If you it's were like the guy, those... like the, the passenger, like, uh, wait a minute, didn't I, don't I need to, like, tie myself in here or something? I know. That's why I do sort of, if I do something like that, not that I do that a lot, but, you know, mm-hmm. I would take it upon myself to also check. Yeah, you would grill the guy. Mm. Gr- yeah, are you sure that I'm connected? See, that's why I'll just say, why don't you go film it and I'll watch it later <laughs> and enjoy it. Sounds good. Forget a half million dollar jackpot in the 50-50. People want to win by the Canucks tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If they lost and you won the jackpot, you'd probably be okay wouldn't feel it. so bad. Uh, he said he would play if he felt good, and this morning when he woke up, Brock Besser felt great. So he will play tonight against the LA Kings, and he will do it alongside Elias Pettersson and Nikolai Goldobin as the Canucks' number one line. Uh, the best I felt in a while, just you know, just within everything, hips down. I feel really confident within myself, and uh, I feel I'm going to be able to move a lot better out there than before. You know, he's a great player, and you know, he's proved himself to be a goal scorer in this league. And um, you know, it's tough when you have a guy like that out of the lineup for other guys to step up and then fill that void. So for him to be back and, and ready to go, and um, you know, hopefully getting his opportunities and and uh, and cashing in on on his chances is going to be huge for us. And remember, the last time he played with Pedersen was the last time he played, which was a four-point night for him and a five-point night for Pedersen. That was a seven-six game against Colorado. Okay. After leaving the Vancouver Canucks, Willie Desjardins has been getting work. Of course, he ran Canada's Olympic men's hockey team, won bronze, and then he was called by the L.A. Kings to take over after they fired John Stevens. Now, he inherits in Los Angeles a veteran team. It looks good on paper, 
but it's a team that looks like time has passed it by. But if he can get these guys to play like they used to play when they were younger, he might be able to last past this season. Few people expected to see Willie Desjardins back in the NHL, at least not as a head coach. But here he is, back in Vancouver, as the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings. It was interesting, we were driving in from the airport, and given that road a lot of the time, so uh, brings back lots of good memories. Um, you know, I think I was, I enjoyed my time in Van, and uh, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity I got here. Desjardins' first stint as an NHL head coach here in Vancouver was more forgettable than memorable. One playoff appearance in three seasons and more losses than wins. Behind the bench, Willie D was stubborn in his coaching ways, often miscasting third and fourth liners in roles above their skill levels. It's a coaching resume that didn't exactly scream, hire this guy. You know, the longer you wait, the, the more you wonder if you're going to get a chance. Um, so I think it's, you know, I when I look at it, I, it it's for sure, uh, you know, uh, an opportunity I didn't know if I was going to get, so I was excited to get the call. The belief in L.A. is Desjardins' coaching stint will be a short-lived one. Last season, the Kings won 45 games. This year, they're dead last. No team scored fewer goals or has a worse goal differential than L.A.'s minus 23. It's not all Willie D's fault, or he's not doing much to change those numbers playing Ilya Kovalchuk six to eight minutes a night, mostly on the Kings' fourth line. You know, when you've always been a top two-line guy for sure, all of a sudden somebody puts you on the fourth line, it's going to be hard for him to, to find his game. So it's, it's, it's not fair to him in some ways either. I'm making him play to his weaknesses. Uh, at the same time, i got to look after the team and i got to find where he fits on those lines. And um, So that's still a little bit of a work in progress, but his, his attitude's been great. And it's that kind of rationale which is why many didn't expect to see Desjardins coaching in the National Hockey League again. Jay Janower, Global Sports. So tomorrow in Uruguay, Canada's U-17 squad led by Chilliwack's Jordan Heidema right there uh, will face Mexico in the semis of the uh, World Cup. Heidema scored the only goal in the quarterfinals in Canada's win over Germany on the weekend. Canada's never made the Final Four in this tournament. They lost to Mexico in June 2-1, but they have a good chance to beat them tomorrow. New Zealand and Spain will be in the other semifinal game. And now something on Jordan's close friend, Alfonso Davies. After only a few practices, Bayern Munich is already praising Alfonso Davies. Manager Nico Kovac says he doesn't want to put too much pressure on the kid but he says he is a first-team player already. Kovac also admitted that Bayern Munich wasn't the only team in Europe trying to buy Davies off the Whitecaps this year. Bayern considered him a diamond in the rough. They had to sign him. They feel he will compete for a starting spot on the wing in January. And Bayern won today against Benfica 5-1 in Champions League. Western Hockey League tonight out at... Uh, the event center in Langley, Giants mm -hmm. and Saskatoon. PG plays Tri-Cities tonight as well. There you go. Back to Alfonso. Huge endorsement from the uh, team oh, the out coach. there. About uh, yeah. His raw talent must be so they, they They think this guy, you know, has the possibility to knock out some known Munich players and get on the starting squad Amazing. very soon. Very cool. Here's a look at your snow report for today. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 57 centimeters. Grouse and Cypress not yet open, but Sasquatch opening December 15th. Revelstoke opening December 1st. Fernie November 30th. Manning Park will be opening weekend starting December the 1st. And Whitewater opening December 7th. Big White and Silver Star, 12 new centimeters of snow. Sun peaks with a base of 83 centimeters. 
Kicking Horse in Mount Washington opening December 7th, and Powder King with a base of 90 centimeters and 9 new centimeters of snow. For a storyteller like Squire, inspiration comes in many different ways and in many different places. I was walking, yeah, I was walking down the street one Saturday, West 5th, about a month ago. There's this building with all these cool looking models. The doors open, I walk in. And it's AB Scale Models, run by the husband and wife team of Ming and Sharon. And now they're going to tell you their story. A lot of the high-rises you're looking at in downtown Vancouver and elsewhere were first built here in much smaller versions at AB Scale Model. I think we did like a, like a marketing model. We do like 80% in, in the Vancouver. Vancouver. Yes. Yeah. What they do is really a combination of science the uh, the wood canopy and art you know it's going under right down to the smallest detail yeah. cannot be make any mistake right so if if we drive down sussex yeah and we see this building for real it looks exactly like this yes of course and while 3d printers do help in construction a lot is still done by hand which means prospective employees have to be patient and steady to produce this kind of detail. Something we call, you have a kind of Gong Fu, Chinese called Gong Fu. You have something breathe, have to hold it, and use a pen, slowly, slowly. Very patient. Of all the creations on display, and there are many, none has more significance than this one. A dining room set, made by co-founder Ming Yang when he was 18 years old. It's a scale model of a regular size dining room set his father had made. Is this from one piece of wood? Yeah, a, a big chunk of wood. Wow. And, then, and then my dad said, you know, you can, you can make this for a business. After establishing himself in Malaysia, Ming decided to emigrate to Canada in the 80s. And that's where the dining room set shaped his future again, because he brought it to his immigration interview. The immigration department look at this and, and they start talking about how you make this and how you build this. They didn't even tell me, you know, <laughs> how old I am, you know. And then after that, in the end, they say, welcome to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that decision has made a lasting impact on architecture in Vancouver. Just I agree. <laughs> it's like, I can just see the immigration guy. You made this? Come on in. Come on in. Free pass. Very great. Yeah, amazing artwork. Yeah, that is so cool. And outside, uh, nasty evening. Is it settling down a little? Or not quite yet. No, I'm not expecting it to settle down for at least another hour. But we are headed towards a drier day tomorrow. We still do have a chance of showers, but a 40% chance is pretty good compared to what we've seen the last couple of days. Nice to see that sun pop out this afternoon. Yeah, at least that's true. a little bit. Anyway. Thanks very much for watching. Have a great night.